hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Second time podcaster. I'm going to get this right. Mark Doddick. Okay, that Yay! Right? Perfect. <laughs> After his massive success with Mummy on the Orient Express, has uh, decided to tackle a somewhat less intimidating story. Mark, say hello. And why are you telling me watching today? Hello. Well... When you when you said you would like to have me back, I thought I would maybe pick a story, one of those sort of run of the mill stories that nobody really particularly thinks of or rates very highly. I'm mm. um, sure it's not had much said about it before, um, so I opted for the caves of Androzani. I can't remember anyone talking about that story at all, if I'm honest. No, it never comes up, does it? It's not a fan favourite by any means. It's usually down the back of the sofa with the space pirates, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's just bottom of the list. Well, look, okay. How many times do you think you've seen Kate of Androsani? Not as much as some other classics. I think because, and I was talking to a friend about this the other day, I was saying that there are certain Doctor Who stories that are quite rich and quite densely packed that you can't overindulge in. It's a bit like a really stodgy pudding. You really enjoy it, but you couldn't have that every day. So it's one that I come back to and I really relish. And then I have to set it aside and I don't go back to that again. Don't pick it for a while. And then I come back to it and I go, oh, yeah, I remember why I really enjoyed this. Um, It's a bit like things like Ghostlight. I love Ghostlight. But again, it's really, there's so much going on. And it's such a, for me, certainly a very rewarding view. Um, But I couldn't watch it all the time. It would kind of spoil it. It would taint it a little bit. I think, whereas there's other comfort who's that I could watch at the drop of a hat, things that are, you know, compared to a really stodgy pudding, they're like custard or yogurt. You'd have them every day. I'm absolutely the same as you. Like, uh-huh. I, I don't think I've seen this before rewatching it for this uh-huh. for three, four years, maybe. It's been uh-huh. a while. Um, and uh, I've got a very, it's, yours is because it's quite densely packed and quite rich. Mine is because it's so fucking depressing. Um, that too. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I think this is one of those very rare instances of a Doctor Who story that is written, directed, and acted mm. impeccably. Yes. Yeah, a piece of drama, it's up there. You could tear this out of Doctor Who and hold mm. it high, probably on its own merits. A bit like City of Death. Possibly Genesis of the Daleks, maybe. Um mm. Unlike City of Death, though, which is a complete joy to watch, and I can watch that as many times as you like, because I just laugh my head off when I'm watching it. Man, oh man, you don't want to hang out with these people. They're all horrible in this. Absolutely. Every last one of them. I mean, I think it probably makes me like the Fifth Doctor so much more because he's really (laughs) the only likeable figure throughout. And I think it's, it's a lovely juxtaposition, the fact that you've got so many filthily horrible people and a really nice doctor who's just trying his damnedest to save Perry. He's like the one beacon of light in this, isn't he? You know, yeah. he's uh-huh. basically out, out for the cow throughout this. Yeah. But he's uh-huh. like oh, nice. They're all you know, basically they're all criminals. They're all like mm-hmm. um, you know political monsters or oh, yeah. inept military men that would murder at the drop of a hat. Like there's just nobody nice in this, and. Uh-huh. So whilst I, I absolutely acknowledge this is a classic and it's one of the best Doctor Who stories ever made, I don't like it very much. Mm, 
would you say it's overrated then? Not at all. Not uh-huh. at all. And, that, and that's mm. a weird contradiction. And I don't uh-huh. even mind TV that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I really love uh-huh. like Rob Shearman's output because mm. he has this unerring ability to make me laugh and whilst he's doing horrific things. Uh-huh. And I really, really, but this isn't even really even doing that. It's just a really nasty, nihilistic, sexist, uh-huh. horrible place. Yes. That the second the doctor sets foot on it, he needs to just get away as soon as possible. Yeah, turn back into that TARDIS and go. <laughs> What's what Jaconda? <laughs> like, um, you know, Robert Holmes is back and he's back with a bang. Yes, and he did this pretty much so this never had to be done again. Like, uh-huh. he, he, he made you know the, the most horrible Doctor Who story. Uh-huh. So, and what instead of like it's going, well, that we did that, and that was bold and brave and amazing. Uh-huh. Said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll do another season of them next year, you know. Yeah, I think Eric Seward misjudged it completely. He didn't, I think JNT gets a lot of blame for things that went wrong in the 80s in the production of Doctor Who, but Eric Seward, some of the weakest and some of the nastiest things that ever made it to screen were down to Eric Seward's script editing. Um, he saw the results from the case of Androzani and rather than go what we need is cracking scripts and casting and making sure there's all these things he decided that all the nastiness is what made it work best and it's just it's a poor reading on his part because it's you couldn't you can't watch that for 13 weeks straight and most of season 22 is quite dark and nasty I enjoy a great proportion of it but that's nearly a whole season of quite grim stories yeah, pretty, very, very, very much. In fact, like some of the bits in 22, um, old Serverland licking the blood off the floor, or yeah. I know Davros getting his hand blown off, Kara being stabbed suddenly. Ah, um, I mean, I love the melodrama, but there are there are bits. <laughs> I, remember, I can remember watching the two doctors on video when I was really young, and my mum sort of sitting in the background going, Oh, this is a oh, this is a bit much, and I was just relishing it and lapping it up, and not really seeing what she was seeing. And then years later, going, "Oh wow, yeah, this is a bit." Especially like you say, having Jacini licking the blood—that's quite. It's it's grim, and she's going first to quite a bit <laughs> as well. Exactly, because <laughs> she just goes for it. Yeah, you yeah. and I were saying before we press record about how like over time your reading on a story can change mm-hmm. and i think as a child i just loved all the violence i loved how adult this felt and you know like it was very easy to just kind of uh, absorb yourself in that world and just oh my god isn't this amazing like you know and doctor who's being t- taken completely seriously you know there's not one joke in sight but there's one or two now i sit and watch this as an adult um i'm gonna say something now that you you may spit at me i wonder if perhaps at times mary whitehouse was right because there are moments in this story in particular i think cross a line and it's a lot of it's around perry and how she's treated and lusted after and it's in nicola bryant's performance which is staggeringly good oh yes uh-huh. but so real it's like we are out of fantasy land and this is a, this is a young girl that is being completely traumatized and i'm like yes is this appropriate for kids i don't know oh it's yeah it's quite um it is very intense i would say 
and unrelenting. Oh, well, that, that might not be as positive as people were expecting yes. it to be. I'm sure we have. Well, well, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, we'll have nice things to say as it goes along. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we? Yes, go for it. Well, why don't you count us in then to episode one? Okie dokes. Five, four, three, two, one. Boom. Okay, so hang on. I see. I have no idea how old you are. Um, I'm assuming, you know, about 23, something like that. Oh, you're a deer. Um, <laughs> I, I'm 34. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I'll I'll out there, I? <laughs> Hang on, how old am I then? Oh, I don't know. You can't be much older than me, are you? I'm 41. I am, I am a fair bit older than you. Well, my, basically my question was, when did you first watch this? Like, what was your first experience? Uh, of it? it would have been the 1993 repeat. Ah, okay. Yes, and uh, I can remember bits of the story I think because it's so visually arresting there's so I mean Graham Harper from the off is doing different things with the visual style of Doctor Who here so it really stayed with me and I didn't see it again until it came out on DVD which was eight nine years later but there was bits that were still replaying in my head through the years and I remember saving up to get the DVD with my pocket money and thinking oh I can't wait to see that bit again I can't wait to see that bit again this will be good and there's there's a it's a really impressive story to look Actually, at. Actually, it does hold up, doesn't it? Like, if, and he's using techniques there that became the norm, kind of now. You know, he's he's doing dynamic tracking shots. He's um, it, it's just very filmic. I think the whole thing is very filmic. Yeah, it's so was... unlike I don't know the work of Ron Jones and and Peter Moffat, yeah. isn't it? Uh, it's, yeah, it's just a different, different league uh, completely that he's working in. And this is his first effort at Doctor Who and he cut, he's just nailed it from the off. Um, he's using handheld cameras. He spent a lot of the, I th think it was the first studio block, he spent a lot of it doing single camera. Um, he was which, down on the floor as well, wasn't he? He, he, yeah. he used to direct from the box. Uh -huh. And it really cut, it obviously really cut into the studio time, but I think the energy that came from it really fed into the way people performed. Have you seen that footage of him on the floor? Doctor, do this! Doctor, do that! Okay, go! <laughs> it's just full of energy. You can understand why people would have fed off that energy, because Peter Moffat, I've not seen studio footage of him, but I imagine he would have been much more sedate and... Um, you probably wouldn't be excited by his directing style. By all accounts, he was a very lovely man and he liked a nice gentlemanly studio and everyone got out on time. Uh -huh. Sometimes he finished early and not many directors managed that. Doing anything arresting or creative, that's why. Um, yeah. I just want you to know, did you notice there, like you said, those mountains that are superimposed on the background there? Yeah, At, when, when we went in on the Doctor and Perry, they completely vanished. Now, I've never noticed that before, but Peter Davison's <laughs> pointing that out in a commentary I listened to earlier. Ah. Like, Stop pointing things out. That I don't know. He does seem to have an eye for detail, though. That's something that um, yeah. people like Fiona Cumming and other directors that worked with him later said was that if he didn't stick with acting, he almost certainly would have become a director because he had a knack for for spotting plot holes and for for sort of being able to point out things and continuity and 
I think David would be a great director. I think he, like like you said, he examined scripts and plot inconsistencies. He would say, well, this doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we iron this out? And Eric's all be like, just say the lines, all right? Just do it. (laughs) Fine. Okay, so Perry. Yes. Much has been said about Perry. Um, I was about to say for good or for ill. Kind of generally for ill. And I think it's a little bit Mm -hmm. unearned. Where, where do you forward Perry? I think, like you say, it's that that reputation is unearned. Um, I think she works really well against Peter Davison mm. because he's because he's a bit of a naturalistic performer. She pitches it against him quite well, and they've got a nice spark between them, and they play this sort of aloof, getting to know one another relationship. But then Colin Baker comes in and his really his performance is so much bolder that she has to lift her performance and suddenly she has to be a bit more, she suddenly becomes more shrill and shouty and screaming. Um, and I don't think that necessarily translates as being unlikable, as some people would say, or disagreeable, but it's a very different performance. She's not the same person we first met. You know what's interesting is if you, like I've, listen to pretty much every single big finish story and i've i've got a feeling that the writing in 22 is to blame a lot of the time Mm -hmm. because they're 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 written hysterically and they're always catty and they're always arguing and and you know they said they were trying to find moments of softness of humor of Mm -hmm. ways of toning it down and they're I think they're now latter day big finish. They are the strongest two regulars that they have because mm-hmm. they're both pitching it naturalistically as well, just like yeah, yeah. Davison and Brian did here. Mm-hmm. And they're brilliant together. And it's oh. almost a shame that so much of 22. God, we're talking a lot about 22, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Off tan, but yeah, just like tangent, but it's fine. It all makes sense within the context, I would say, because I think Absolutely does. before Eric Sayward took so much from this story to form season 22. I think um, something that's quite common with people like showrunners and writers on the series is that they almost want to try and find a format for it and work towards a certain pattern. Mm-hmm. And Eric Sayward had been on the series for two years at this point and two and a half years had pretty much failed to find yeah. sheep or a form for the series. And then he went, aha, I know it's going to be gritty and horrible and grim and unremitting and all these things that I think it can do in small doses, but not in... Look what happened. They pulled the plug. They went, no, this is is too nasty. This is not fun television. Do you know what? I think you're right, though, about the whole thing about the format. I I really like that about the early 80s, though, because I think, like, pretty much any other period, apart from Hartnell's, possibly, Mm -hmm. certainly Troughton's, um, John Pertwee's, and the three different script editors of Tom Baker, there's a tone to it, isn't there? Yeah. Early 80s, when Sir Ward comes along and you veer from, I don't know, Black Orchid to Earthshock to Time Flight, uh-huh. like, you're all over the place. And I kind of like it for that, that you never oh, yeah. know what you're going to get. It's very, a bit unpredictable. Um, but you're right, this hit, this was so popular uh-huh. that he was like, okay, this is what we're going to make from now on, you know. Uh-huh. And it's a shame because it, mean, it meant that he ditched sort of lyrical scripts and sort of the slightly more magical and mythic ones because i don't think he particularly liked that style anyway but he'd inherited scripts yeah. that 
worked to that format and I think he felt that that fitted somewhere in the mix and then he suddenly went you know what I don't need it now what do you think there was some like like kinder snake dance and enlightenment some of the best of his era they're absolutely fantastic um but they're I don't know how much work he put into those scripts Hmm. there's others that he had more work on which interestingly are probably the weaker scripts I think somebody like Barbara Clegg who was a seasoned writer who'd done, she'd done script editing and all sorts for the series, would have been asked to do Enlightenment and I'm sure she managed to just rattle something off and make it work. It's the same with Bob Holmes. Um, when I was reading and doing a bit of research before this, interestingly, Eric Sayward says in an interview, the only thing I did was I added this bit about the praxis range of the spectrum and the celery, because Peter said, before I go, I want that explained. So he literally put in one scene that's very telling, isn't it? Although, do you know what? Okay, now we're being a bit anti Eric's award here. So I'm going to, oh, Jesus, I'm leaping into season 22 again. Sorry. <laughs> season 22 podcast, everybody. Um, I think his script for Revelation of the Daleks is superb. It's, I think it's the best thing he ever wrote for Doctor Who. And he is absolutely aping Robert Holmes in so many different ways. He's basically oh. taken this as a template, but he writes kind of this as a black comedy and it's yeah. really funny and it's really edgy mm. and uh, it's not at all doctor who like don't get me wrong i don't think it's oh, uh, doctor who but it's fantastic telly oh it's so good it's one of those stories that i can i'll watch quite a few times I've, I, sometimes i'll finish it and start it again because i just enjoy it so much um well i start to do a graham harper again as well yeah i think he's he manages to sell it if it had been a Ron Jones job or any others of the regular directors oft probably wouldn't be regarded so highly however oh. Oh. well this shot here right where um <laughs> where they're both looking at the camera Graham mm -hmm. Harper's like oh my god at the time he goes I was obsessed with these shots he goes I took out the whole wall of the set and I was like right you lean into it you talk behind him and we'll see the reactions of both actors and it'll be absolutely amazing and then it cuts to him in the documentary and he goes and it's so bloody hammy he goes I hate <laughs> it it's so old-fashioned what was I thinking <laughs> oh, it's quite interesting though because there's other things that he learned from this experience like the a moment ago when you have Morgus turn to the camera and do make his aside that was apparently a misunderstanding because he eventually did have to spend some time up in the box and direct from above um so he passed on the direction turn to camera and don't look down the lens whatever the instruction was it wasn't look down the lens and see it but that's what john normington did and later on graham thought this is brilliant this is so good that he used it in other series later on he got some i think with george sewell or somebody else in the series it worked on and he said i know you're not going to like this and the actor pushed against it ever so slightly and he said but you are going to turn to the camera look right down the lens and give a little smile and they said oh we can't, can't possibly ask that of me and they did it and they said it was the best bit of this episode it means the audience is part of the story doesn't it uh -huh. It's absolutely well. He does it in Revelation of the Daleks as well. It's no one's addressing the camera, but everyone's looking up at the security camera. Uh -huh. Remember, the doctor when he walks into Tranquil Repose for the first time, he looks up at the camera, like straight at the camera, and goes, uh -huh. "You know." So everyone's aware that they're kind of being observed all the time by Davros. It's mm. a really clever technique. Oh yeah. Um, Peter Davison. Okay, yes. we talked all over a sequence. 
where um, he is butting heads with, what's the guy's name? Chelak. Yes. The most inept military man ever to be in Doctor Who. <laughs> just, he's hopeless, and it, mind you, he's got that yeah, answer. There. Hmm. Matt Davison is blazing-eyed, angry. He's brilliant in this. Like, where the fuck has this been for the last three years? Ah, it's such. It's a shame that he he gives his strongest performance in a story where pr- the Doctor progressively gets weaker and weaker and weaker. Um, it's he really. I think if you watch his time in the show, you can see his confidence growing as well. Though um, he wasn't confident that he was old enough to take on the role and you can see he's not too confident in season 19 and season 20 he starts to get into this groove a wee bit but I think the behind the scenes chaos and strikes were grinding him down a bit which is ultimately why he didn't want to stay longer and then by the end of this he was upset that he was walking away from it at a time where he suddenly went I know how to do this now so so frustrating I mean I'll, again I'll point to Big Finish because I think uh-huh. it's a very very good like now he's older and he even says like i wish i'd been able to play it at this age because i've yeah. got so much more gravitas now yeah. um i think as soon as 21 starts that's where he's in his groove like absolutely from warriors of the yeah. deep onwards, like he's uh, warriors uh-huh. of the deep is a massive pantomime but uh-huh. he walks through it with absolute dignity <laughs> like he's, yeah absolute dignity and he's sort of he's quite heroic and he does it with real panache it's a really i like his performance in that but i don't know is it because he's slightly demob happy? He'd given his notice at that point. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right that, that he's like, well, I'm out of here now, so I'm just going to do this how I like, you know. But then all of a sudden, he's like, he is taking it incredibly seriously. That squeaky voice thing that he does is gone. Yeah. And actually, do you know what? I think his best performance. This might be a little bit controversial. You may not agree with this. Mm-hmm. It's Frontius, I think. Oh no, I like that. I really do because I think throughout his era most of the writers either haven't done Doctor Who before or are writing it on a memory of how they think the Doctor would be whereas you've got um, Christopher Bidmead who's writing the Doctor in a Doctorish way quite intentionally and Robert Holmes here as well said he was he and Terence Dix had the same belief that the Doctor doesn't really change character wise so you can write a generic template but there are things that Bob Holmes and Christopher Bidmead were putting in the scripts that Peter Davison worked with that weren't elsewhere. Um, it's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> such a shame because I would have liked it to be more quirky. He says in the commentary, uh, which, uh, you know, it was one of the earliest ones I did, so I'm not going to be too mean, but boy, uh, did they need a moderator. There was <laughs> lots of lots of gaps where they weren't talking. Um, oh that he spent most of his era like running around corridors in a breathless fashion. And that ain't wrong, you know. That's basically Terminus, Arc of Infinity, Time Flight, you know, like he's just running around delivering exposition. Great swathes of his era, sadly, sort of lost to stories that don't have much going for them. It's a real shame because I think season, you know, if if you could do something about Time Flight, Arc of Infinity and Terminus... And King's Demons, I would say. You could change those four stories dramatically, top-down rewrite. I think his whole era would sit a bit better, but he's got just a really clunky second year. All in that, in the heart of the era as well, isn't it? You know? In quick succession, he just gets some really dud scripts. And season 20s. You've got like some, you've got all the excitement of him coming along in 19 and that kind Uh of team settling in and. Uh 
the the mad like diversity of genres yes and then you've got that dreary second year sorry jason miller don't come at me he loves that season <laughs> um and oh. then last year is where they're kind of making the universe a bit of a ugly place yes but he sort of blazes his way through that as his like moral core you know and oh. it really really works but yeah it's like beginning and end the middle yeah, yeah it's a shame because i i really like his era overall and i think there's some of it i like it probably because of the things that big finish have done as well that have filled some of the gaps so there's certain things in my head can and i went oh well that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense and then somebody at big finish has written a lovely script that makes sense or reconciles one of the dodgy relationships or something that didn't really compute before and then i've gone oh yeah that's really good now and that flows quite nicely into black orchids <laughs> you shouldn't need that extra context to make it work should you you should exactly and i think it's that and that's that do you like anyone in this story? Do you think anyone's likable beyond the Doctor and Perry? Not really, no. It's a, there's a, a pretty nasty bunch. I mean, Chillac isn't really nasty, I would say, compared to everybody else. He's quite tame. He's just a bit inept. But everybody else is out for their own gain. It gets a nasty end, though. I think that's one of the grisliest moments in the whole thing. Yeah. Ouch. I will be screaming along with him in that last episode. I hope you <laughs> okay <laughs> look at how well it's lit as well do you see davison's face there it's really like i've always said that sympathetic lighting goes a long way in doctor who <laughs> and given how bright these seasons can be mm. it's it's yeah, the whole visual look of this story is is really it just you've got twin dilemma straight after this Talk about great direction. <laughs> yeah, that's the oof, from the sublime that's to the ridiculous. Sneaky love for the Twin Dilemma, but it's only because I love B movies. I love really shit things. So uh -huh. that's exactly an endorsement. Yeah. Um, did you notice the first time you watched this? This bit in a second where the like it's like a half a second cut of the android coming in to get take him out of the cell. Did you notice? Yeah, just that slight brush past. Yeah, it's so done. I, I never noticed it. Like I uh -huh. swear, the first couple of times I watched this. Ah, oh, it's really, it's great. I love it. And this, oh, um, this sequence here, when I was doing, when I was doing my research, um, Graham Harper, each episode was overrunning dramatically. And he, because he did a lot of single camera stuff, he had so much footage to work with. This sequence, which in the script really is just a case of, you know, very, you know, there's not a lot going on. It's just, you know, dials and pushing of buttons. He had three, four minutes worth of footage. Um, and he said that JNT didn't have a lot of input into the directing and didn't put his input into things too much. Uh, but Graham said, I don't really know what to do. How can I reduce this? And he said, crossfades, just cut it. Crossfade and do that. And he made it into this sort of 80 second sequence that goes, it's just really brilliant. Amazing, isn't it? In fact, Davidson points that out when he goes, he goes oh. to phase here. He goes, this is so dynamic. He doesn't actually tell that story. He should have done. But oh. we would have had four minutes of him just wandering around the laboratory. Yeah. Putting things together. It, wow. Oh. And you just think, I mean, it says a lot for JNT. I mean, it's a real shame that he didn't actually direct at any point. Yeah. Well, like anything. Who you, you talk about Graham Harper or John Nathan Turner? About uh, John Nathan Turner, because he did some second unit stuff. Like, I mean, the five doctors, the most exciting bit is the cyber massacre, and he did that as second unit. 
I think he, like he was originally going to direct Don't the Bannerman, wasn't he? There was talk of him doing that, and then it just didn't yeah. become possible. And Black Orchid as well, potentially. Oh, I would love to have seen what he could have done, you know, because <laughs> Dimensions in Time is an absolute masterpiece. Oh yes, oh, it really, it really sells his directing stuff. Um... <laughs> I remade that once, you know. I was, uh, I was the Rani. Oh, I think you'd give a good Rani. Oh, thank you. I look amazing in colours. Oh, 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 not many people can either. Well, you see that Spectrox, uh, what's it called? That's just Spectrox, uh, isn't it? That's just, yeah, that's just Spectrox, yes. It's a lot like, doesn't it? It does. It do, it's a bit. There's a people walking around drinking that. I mean, that's quite a, that's quite a lot as well. <laughs> <laughs> I beg your pardon. I think that's quite a small amount, actually. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but only 10 centiliters you know can take off 20 years or something like that ah, yeah i hear that's of the other thing as well <laughs> so i'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> have you noticed though with these robert holmes stories so very often they're the most precious thing in the galaxy isn't it uh jeffrick yeah. um argonite argonite and then things like perineum it's not necessarily that it's a uh valuable thing but it's a, a it's always a vital resource it's something that people are going to fight for or go to the graves for and he was script editing that one wasn't he he was script editing come death to the daleks yes um see spectrox yeah so he likes he likes doing these you know important things in your, this one though man you imagine this was available now spectrox oh he's probably guzzling it down every day <laughs> 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 my mind's going the wrong place uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, you know uh, no okay uh, there's nothing i can say <laughs> no no don't don't <laughs> stop <laughs> i love that line though the public want their spectrox morgus yes like oh here comes the cliffhanger this is amazing oh, this is it this is just so brilliantly it's just so dynamic is this the ultimate, how on earth did they get out of this cliffhanger? Yeah, I would say it's definitely up there. You can't, they're, they're tied up. They've got, you see them against those posts. There's no, if it wasn't for that little shot. They do seem a bit wooden now as well, though. Now they're androids. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's, it's slightly differently. Oh my God, look at that mask. That great reveal of that face yeah that's christopher gable isn't it we need to talk about him in episode two yes ah oh, he's just uh, they, they lucked out with him great bit of casting oh, i love this because even the president who you think might be a likable character goes mm -hmm. you know this is appalling and morgan's is like well it is a public execution oh. and he goes, oh, in my day i would have had him shot in the back and oh, yeah. oh my god even the president's an asshole you know and he's nasty and he's vain as well when you say you would you think i'm a man of 70 or whatever he says and, you go, and, and morgus has to flatter him oh no 50 at least yeah. oh man the amount of managers i've had where i've had to be doing that you know <laughs> jesus christ so, but it does mean when he gets shoved down that lift shaft later on it's it is deserved yeah i would say so i don't know i think some of the things he's letting them get away with morgus he knows what morgus is up to and he's letting that happen Oh, here we go. I love it. Take aim. Fire! <laughs> and the, the fact that the, the closing shot is the flames coming out of the... 
he is determined to make this as dynamic as possible, isn't he? Oh yeah, like great. Yeah, Graham Harper said he didn't. He wanted live rounds. He didn't. Well, he didn't want them to use lasers because he said it would take you out of it. And then if you're using bullets, it feels real and sure does. Imagine if it was those candy cane stripes from Earthshock. Take aim, fire. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> be anywhere near as good would it oh would undermine it entirely and i think because you've got roger Lim's music doing the drum roll as well it feels really final do you think um do you think that sets the scene well like as an episode one there's a lot of questions you don't know where this is going you don't really like do we know about salatine yet we don't do we we think salatine it's just a person. Ah, he's quite... Bear with me. Brit Box behaves. <laughs> um, Shara's Jack is a complete mystery at this point. Yes, you've only had the reveal. You, he's, up, he's up to no good, but what's he doing exactly and why? Basically, the entire first episode is the Doctor going from one situation to another that gets worse and worse. You know what he reminds me of? The War Games episode one. Yes. You know, where Trout is as well. And it ends, oh. yeah, with that. Well, I suppose that's, that's the other great. How the hell is he going to get out of this? Yeah, it's just his face when, it, when you hear the shot and Trout and going, Because Trout is such a likable doctor as well. You think, oh, God, if this is his last story, that's no way to let him go. I mean, imagine, right? Imagine this a children's hero, Doctor Who, yeah? Hmm being forced to regenerate by being shot in the chest. I mean, who could possibly do that? Oh, wait. Uh, Robert Holmes gave it a try. <laughs> TV movie went and did it. Of course. <laughs> Another very likeable Doctor. Yes. Oh, not that he gets much screen time. No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> 